0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host and producer of this podcast, and I have the amazing privilege to be here with a friend and a hero of mine, Rodney Rocky Sickman. And he prefers to go by Rocky, tells me only his mother calls him Rocky. So we'll only (laughs) call him Rocky on this. And I'll tell you more about Rocky and then I'll explain how we met and talk a little bit more about him. But Rocky Sickman was United States Marine Corps Sergeant and POW or prisoner of war in the Iranian hostage crisis. And he is an author of Iranian hostage, a personal diary of 444 days in captivity He's also the retired U.S. Director of Military and Industry Affairs for Anheuser-Busch Bev, Senior Vice President of Budweiser Counts and Folds of Honor. Rodney Rocky Sickman graduated from Washington High School in 1976 and immediately entered the U.S. Marine Corps. In 1979, just 28 days into his tour of duty at the American Embassy in Tehran, Iran, Sickman became a player in one of the most terrifying events in U.S. history. On November 4th, 1979, after months of turmoil marked by the return of the exiled Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, the American embassy in Tehran was overrun by militants and its employees taken captive. Sergeant Rocky Sikman, then just 22 years old, was one of 65 Americans taken hostage. Sikman remained hostage for 444 days before being released on January 20th, 1981, following 14 months of diplomacy by President Jimmy Carter. Three months later, Sickman was honorably discharged after six years in the U.S. Marine Corps and received several accolades during his service, including Prisoner of War Medal, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, Award of Valor, and Good Conduct Medal. Following the military, he began working in advertising for KMOX Radio in St. Louis, Missouri, and then entered the private sector for Anheuser-Busch in Beth. He spent the next 34 years with the company, most recently at the U.S. National Director for Military and Industry Affairs until his retirement in July 2016. Sigmund's personal diary, Iranian hostage, a personal diary of 444 days in captivity, is also the only known diary to have been smuggled out of Iran and published. The diary is no longer in publication. As the U.S. National Director for Military and Industry Affairs at Anheuser-Busch and Bev, Sigmund oversaw all military special events, military and industry trade media publications, and national industry trade shows. Throughout his career at Anheuser-Busch, Sigmund also played a key role in increasing Anheuser-Busch's market penetration among the military by trading wholesalers, coordinating marketing and publicity, executing national sales promotions and planning special military events. Sigmund helped coordinate the Here's to the Heroes Tour, which salutes the men and women of armed forces, allowing Americans to show their support for troops via recorded messages filmed on location at community events, celebrations and festivals nationwide and shared with U.S. troops serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. Personally and professionally, Sigmund has been fortunate to share his story on many different platforms, including ABC News, ESPN, Fox and Friends, Fox News, Los Angeles Times, MSNBC, NFL Timeline series, The New York Times, to the cast of the Oscar award-winning film Argo, starring Ben Affleck, national and local veteran and military organizations and educational institutions across the country. In August 2016, Sigmund's military and professional experience coupled with his passion for armed forces led him to pursue the opportunity with his favorite nonprofit organization, Folds of Honor. In this new role, Sigmund helps advance the Folds' mission to stand in the financial gap of more than one million dependents adversely affected by war, providing educational scholarships to the children and spouses of those killed or disabled while serving our nation. Sigmund and his wife of 41 years, Jill, have three children, Hannah Werl, and granddaughter Leah, grandson Rhett, and husband Matt Werrell and he'll have to correct me on that, Chelsea, Chelsea dot grandda- grandson Woodson, granddaughter Rooney, and husband Kalen Freese and Spencer. So I probably butchered some of those names. I apologize <laughs> for that if you're listening. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's all right. Yeah, that was Worley. Thanks yeah. so much. And no. welcome. We're so happy to have you today.
1: Well, thank you again. It's an honor
0: to be with you, Keith. And again, thank you for your service. Thanks so much. I first met Rocky. We're actually family now through marriage and it was a pretty neat event. So I'm excited. I honestly don't get very starstruck very often in my life or fanboy or whatever you want to call it. And hardly ever famous people don't do much to excite me. I think people are people and and I just admire people for great accomplishments and not necessarily for how famous they are. But I had a wonderful experience. I was at my nephew's wedding and all of a sudden, someone starts speaking Farsi in my ear, which is an uncommon occurrence in the United States, (laughs) to say the least, and even rarer for someone to know that I know Farsi uh, before that. So, I was shocked, and there's Rocky speaking Farsi to me, and I had to quickly jog my memory and go back to my vocabulary to respond because it totally caught me off guard, and we had a wonderful conversation. I got to know who Rocky is, and he happens to be the uncle of the bride of my nephew. So a small world and a wonderful opportunity. I learned there too that I was also a recipient of the work that Rocky did at anheuser Bush, And I got one of these special challenge coins that he'd put together And now I have a pair set because he gave me a Folds of Honor one, too. So super exciting. And that was my introduction to Rocky and his leadership and his love of serving. And he showed that from moment one. And I'm just so excited to share and amplify his voice today.
1: Keith, it's such an honor to be with you. And it was synchronicity that we met that night in the small town that I grew up in, uh, Krakow, Missouri. In fact, that little hall was the school that I went to when I was a small child. So to be able to come back, talk to you that night, but see my beautiful niece, it was a wonderful time.
0: It was beautiful evening, wonderful wedding as weddings often are, but obviously for both Rocky and me, it was a special occasion. And now we're connected and get to know more and more about each other as we move through life and just so excited. And I didn't know much about Folds of Honor until I met Rocky that night, but he told me about it and then he coined me. And so I looked into it and just what a phenomenal organization. And it's remarkable that here you are, a full- very successful career after some profound crisis and challenges. You've made this amazing life for yourself, but then here you are in the late years of your life and you're still finding ways to give back in some powerful and meaningful ways. And so I want to talk a little bit about your service there at Folds of Honor and what this organization is because I didn't know much about it and I'm sure many of the listeners don't know much about it. So if we can inform people about the mission and this phenomenal organization and what it is as a servant leader organization, I'd love to talk more about it. Yeah. So Folds of Honor Keith, really started in 2007 by a major
1: pilot flying F-16s. He had returned home from duty and he was flying from uh, Chicago to Grand Rapids. And as they landed late night, the pilot had asked everyone to remain on board, that they were carrying the remains of a soldier lost in battle. And so as the pilot is talking, Major Rooney at the time, this is 2007, he's looking out the right side of the plane and he can see the casket come down with the the flag draped over top of it. And standing on the tarmac is this small boy, this small little boy that would never be able to play pitch and catch, go fishing, you know, be with his father and his mother, the wife of this wonderful man and so 20 minutes went by the pilot then said thank you for remaining on board major rooney wiping his tears away gets up and looks around and realizes keith that over three quarters of the flight got off the plane nowhere to go than the warm blanket that this young man just gave his life to you know that american flag it represents freedom and that man lost his life for our country so Major Rooney went home and uh, was very, very upset and told his wife, I've got to do something. I mean, people just don't get it that freedom is not free. And so he and his wife put together this organization. And uh, I was a director of military sales at the time. And Major Rooney on the wall in his garage, he and his wife put together a list of organizations. And again, working from Budweiser, I was very proud after getting out of the service. And I wanted to work for an organization that supported military. And Budweiser had this position of director of military sales. I said, someday I want to get in there. So sure enough, he makes a cold call. It was 2007. And I'm upstairs, just so happened to be home. In my office and I go downstairs and here's this little skinny guy in his flight uniform. He's making a cold call to A B and was very determined to talk to somebody about his military program. So here synchronicity has it. I come down, I said, Major Rooney, my name's Rocky Sickman. He goes, Sir, I've got this program I'd like to share with you. And so i said well let me get a a little meeting room because i was responsible for all phone calls letters anything related to military i was responsible so we got a little meeting room he told me his story i told him my story and the rest is history and so we started working at budweiser in 2011 putting together a program and since 2011 Budweiser and AB Wholesalers around the country, Keith, have raised over $20 million for an organization, Folds of Honor, that provides scholarships to families of fallen and disabled military. And 41% of our recipients are minority. And it was probably been about $160 million. And every dollar that comes in, 91% of that dollar goes into a scholarship. So, 35,000 scholarships, excuse me, 38,000. There's so many stories that are out there. My story is just one, you know, I've never forgotten those eight individuals that paid the ultimate sacrifice, their life for my life. And so when I retired in 2016, Major Rooney, and now Lieutenant Colonel Rooney said, Rocky, you got to come work for Folds of Honor. So sure enough, I came out of retirement and went to work for Folds of Honor. And Keith, after going through 444 days of captivity, it's a hard story to tell. It's like I've seen a movie and I'm just trying to tell you about the movie. I mean, unless you were really there. Imagine being locked in a room with two other people for 400 days. We went outside seven times out of 444 days. When I feel like I'm having a bad day, I think of those eight that lost everything and their families had to all start all over again. And so it was something that I never forgot when I came home in 1981, when I heard the story and it's something that I want to continue to give to this day, love of family, love of faith and love of country.
0: That's a remarkable story. There's so much wonderful about this organization, and we're going to provide resources for those of you listening to learn more about it and even support the cause if you so desire. So we'll talk more and more about that. But what I really want to look at here from the aspect of servant leadership is you look at Major Rooney, you look at Rocky, and I'm sure there's countless others involved in this organization. And you take these people, they saw a need and they reacted to it. And I really want to highlight this because all of you listening, oftentimes we're going to see a need arise. And all you have to do is have a desire to serve and lead others and look at what you can do. Look at what Major Rooney has led and what Rocky's helped with to build this amazing outreach organization that's touched the lives of many in some of their hardest moments. And it's phenomenal. You look at some of these experiences that Rocky's had, he's taken these challenges And instead of letting them debilitate him, and I'm sure there's been challenging times, but instead of letting him debilitate him, he's found ways to look after those in their times of need as well. A profound thought for those of us that want to be servant leaders and are continuing to grow in our leadership abilities to take these examples of using our challenges to propel us to help others in their challenging times. And I think about you, Rocky, what advice do you have for people to take those challenging times, these hard life experiences and to turn them into powerful motivations for changes for good.
1: You know, Keith, a psychiatrist said, there's gonna be two ways that you're gonna go home and deal with this. One way is that you're gonna keep it inside, but someday something's gonna break and you're gonna break open. And or the other way is you take it and you learn from it and you know that you can do anything after going through that. And it really took me a while to really sink in. I remember having to speak in front of a group of a thousand people. Growing up, I was not a speaker. I was a kid that played sports. But when I came home and I'm sitting there preparing to get in front of these people, my worst day when I was held hostage was when I was put up against the wall with three rifles to the back of my head. And I told myself at this event, I said, you know what, if I can do that and I can survive, I can get up, And I can tell the story of how eight brave individuals lost their life trying to regain my freedom. But the man upstairs, he's still with me to this day. There are times that I'm having a difficult day because I'm human. I'm just like everybody else. I wear my pants just like everybody. And I'm walking into a convenience store. I had to catch a 630 flight. And I'm running crazy like a chicken with my head chopped off. I go in, I get a banana, a breakfast bar, and a water. I go up to pay. Everybody's running around. And all of a sudden, I look at the cash register, and I owe $4.44. That's the number of days I was held hostage. I'm sitting there looking at this number, and I've got six people behind me. Hey, buddy, you going to pay? And I'm looking at this number. I'm just stunned. And it was like a message. Rocky, are you really having a bad day? I mean, is this really a bad day in relationship to being held hostage? So put it in perspective. I mean, when COVID hit, Keith, I mean, I was locked in a room, like I said, for over 400 days. I went outside seven times to go to the restroom. You had to knock on the door, put a piece of paper underneath the door. I mean, during COVID, I could go outside. I could go to the refrigerator. I could brush my teeth with a toothbrush and toothpaste. I could wash my clothes. And you know what? I took a shower and I still take a shower every morning. You know why? I can't. Back then, I couldn't. You did what they told you to do and when to do it. And so at times, people need to take in a terrible situation, it seems like, as I did. Because I don't think I was really like this before. I, I, I don't know. My wife says I was. But going through that, it's like I've gone to hell and I'm back. I mean, everything else is really... It's great. And again, there are 1 million men and women that have been affected by war. And there's 2 million dependents, families that are part of those families. And the cost of tuition to pay to help educate those uh, spouses and children is $9 billion. So, you know, for me, it's like taking it together everything and putting it into a positive Energy Now, trust me, I get fired up at times and tell the story about what happened and how it happened and how the country, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Mullahs and the Revolutionary Guard. It's disheartening to see how they have never been held accountable for what they did. And as you know, being in the military, the Revolutionary Guard, they made IEDs that killed our people. And so it hurts that nothing's happened since then. But again, I have to let go of that and I have to use my energy in a positive sense. And that's what I try to do.
0: Thanks so much for sharing some deep and personal stories and also that example of of being a true leader who looks forward at helping others. Now, for those of you listening, if for some reason you're not familiar with the Iran hostage crisis that happened in 1979, in those 444 days of captivity, there's been Many books written about it. There's a lot of things written about it. One of the more famous ones, other than Rocky's memoir that's not in publication anymore, is Mark Bowden's "The Guests of the Ayatollah." So uh, it's a great read. It's an easy read. It's phenomenal background into the situation. If you're interested in learning more, and it talks specifically about these eight individuals who gave their lives in a failed rescue attempt, and what that means that Rocky's been alluding to several times, and And that for me, as someone who studied Persian studies in school and learned a lot more about Iran, I alluded to this early on that I don't get starstruck much. But when I found out who Rocky was, my wife even told me, I think you're fanboying a little bit because I I was so excited. I was like, whoa, this is is a big deal for me as someone who really specializes in uh, Persian studies and in Iranian affairs. And so it meant a lot to me to get that personal perspective to so many things that I had just thought about notionally. And really, you know, I'd spent a lot of time really looking at these issues from many different lenses and thinking about what it must have been like to be in captivity, because as much as you can visualize that, you like you said, you just can't know what that feels like. And, you know, it's a phenomenal story. And I look at your bio and I'm, it wasn't long after you joined the Marine Corps, this happened. It's your first duty station. You're a very green Marine. You know, you have a love of country, a love of what you're doing in your fellow Marines. What skills or what abilities do you think the Marine Corps gave you or your family or school gave you to help prepare you for such a trial right out the gate in your service?
1: I think it's a combination. You know, it started with my parents, the upbringing. If there was a parade in town, uh, celebrating the 4th of July, I was carrying the flag. I mean, My father served, my brother served, and so here I was. I was a captain my senior year in high school football, my coach leadership, you know, hard work, discipline, and then, of course, the Marine Corps. Never could understand, Keith, why in boot camp they were teaching us how to clean our clothes with a bar of soap a slab of concrete and water. I'm thinking right in that door over there is a washing machine and dryer. (laughs) Why are we doing this stuff? Well, little did I realize it was teaching us in case you ever had to do this, you know, you would be prepared. And physical fitness, I mean, because trust me, for 444 days, the first 30 days, Keith, I was tied to a chair. And as a young 22 year old Marine, beautiful country, beautiful Iranian people. But again, it was the start of the revolution of Ayatollah Khomeini coming in and the Shah of Iran coming out. And them saying that the Shah was so bad and the Savak, the his military were so bad. And here they were saying that the mullahs were better and that the revolutionary guards were much better. Well, you know, I can tell you that my hatred it was boiling and that's why they had to keep us tied it was like there were times that you would just want to grab their throat and rip their throat out you wanted to hurt them so bad but you couldn't because you had to be disciplined or else somebody else would get hurt in this whole crazy transaction it just took my upbringing as i sat tied to that chair going back to krakow missouri and remembering playing baseball, Indian ball there in the backfield, sleigh riding down the front of the school. I mean, I relived all these past things of growing up just to keep me going. And so in the Marine Corps, they definitely uh, taught you leadership that you had to be disciplined. And I mean, in your interrogations, they wanted to get you to confess and make statements. And out of all the hostages, only one individual, basically broke the code of trust and basically did it for favors and i'll never forget this individual i'm not going to use his name but i remember the day i'm in the corner of the room and all of a sudden the door opens up and there's a guard at the door There were three of us. Sergeant Lopez was on the left corner. I was in the front left. And Staff Sergeant Mueller was in the right corner. And the guard was back by the door. Shade was off, just like you see in the hostage movies. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in and says, yeah, that's Sergeant Lopez. He's one of the Marines. That's Sergeant Sickman. He's one of the Marines. And that's Staff Sergeant Muller. He's in charge of the Marines. And this guy, we, you know, you turn around as far as you could. What the heck are you doing? And this guy, he did it for favor. So there were some times that you, again, 444 days. That's two Thanksgivings. That's two Christmases, Keith, that you just, you didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And it, it came close where there were times that you wanted to take their life and just end your life because you didn't see any
0: light at the end of the tunnel yeah it's it's hard to imagine and you know i know that all of us watch a lot of hollywood versions of events and argo is one of those that you know puts a hollywood spin on some of these events although some great information in argo too if you want to watch it if you haven't seen it but it's easy to think that we could do better in the same situation And I think in a leadership role, we often have these ideas that we can do better. So I think there's some application here to recognize that it's more beneficial to look at these scenarios and evaluate what can I learn as opposed to judging what you would have done better notionally, but always looking, what can I learn and how can I use this to benefit me and others? Because I learned in my own combat experience in our Every single person has a breaking point. They're just different. And so that individual met their breaking point earlier, and it'd be easy to judge them for what they did. And it's unfortunate that they did those things, but they met that breaking point. And so recognizing as a leader, as opposed to saying we all have the same breaking point and recognizing what's the people around me and what are they capable of? And how do I use those skills and capabilities to the best of the benefit to help everyone get better? I think is a better focus of our energy. And I think you've exhibited those traits as you've moved forward and you've, you've gone through your own healing process, which I know couldn't have been easy, but I see some positive attributes in that and how you, you view the world around you. And so I wonder, how do you do these things to view the world around you in a way that helps you pull the skills of others out of them to increase their ability to be even better versions of themselves? You know, it's like as a joke, as a
1: father, you know, if my kids are back talking, we had three children and they'd be in the back seat. Like, I hate the middle seat. And I would say, you would be a bad hostage. Because okay. when we were attempted rescue operation, they put me in the middle seat and I drove for over. I want to say 15, 16 hours. That was blindfolded, handcuffed with a blanket over top of this. And there was no stopping at a restroom. And so I always use it. And I don't know if the times they think, man, that's kind of sick. You refer the hostage crisis. But I, I use it as a, a learning curve that, I mean, if you were able to do that, you should be able to do anything. I, I always say, man, you'd be a bad hostage uh, going through that. But, you know, back then, Keith, if you remember, it's 1979. They really never had training for escape and evades. And it really after that they learn that they have to really start putting people into these tests to see who's going to be able to move forward and who's going to break because if they're going to break, maybe that's not a good position. But again, I just try to use it as a positive piece. I mean, there are people that have gone, your listeners that have gone through difficult times and I, as myself, I've tried to use it as a positive way. And again, I, I try to maintain positive attitude. And my work ethic is kind of crazy at times because I probably overindulge myself because I think of those eight individuals. And I look back and I. my wife has to always put me back. Rocky, you can't always use that. But I do. If I think like I have to really get something done, I'm, I'm working long hours. Those guys that came over to rescue me, they flew through the night of April 24th, and it was the morning of April 25th to come. Up. They didn't think about the time. They were coming over focused on one thing, and that was to regain our freedom. And so for me, I use my time to make sure that I need to do whatever I need to do to make sure that that recipient gets their scholarship you know, from Folds of Honor. And I help whoever needs help. To get whatever they need to get it done so it's like there's not a no in in the book i mean i didn't stop and i didn't give up then and i'm not going to give up ever Unless I'm put into the grave someday, but it's just something that I truly believe that I'm earning each day for those eight individuals. and I I love to tie it into what I'm doing and and reminding people, but it goes back to my parents. I, I probably would not have gone into the military if my parents had not believed so much in our faith of our country and our family and everything else so it's into a big bowl and it just helps me to make it through and i try to teach my grandkids what my parents and father taught me as my little granddaughter she's three years old and she's already hand saluting the american flag and my five-year-old grandson uh they're all saluting they understand i mean my grandson's already given challenge coins to vietnam veterans because you know what you probably have some listeners that are vietnam veterans When I was held and tied for the first 30 days, he 10,000 miles away from home and through the broken windows in the room that I was tied, my arms were tied to the arms chair, feet are tied to the feet of the chair in the corner. You could hear people wake up in the morning. You could hear the traffic start. And all of a sudden the traffic would go down and the night would come. And the next morning, day two, day three, and you're sitting there tied to that chair and you're thinking the Vietnam War ended in 1975. And those guys were spit on. Nobody cared about them. If they were spit on, who's going to care about 60-some Americans at an American embassy 10,000 miles away from home? Because right here in their country, life was going on without you. And it was the most loneliest time. And so I try to remind all my grandkids from very young age that freedom is not free and, and veterans have been there to help provide what we have.
0: Uh, just some powerful content there that I will continue to reflect upon. And I hope all you listening will reflect upon. I really appreciate the way you use these eight individuals' sacrifice as a motivational tool for yourself and others. And when you were talking, it reminded me of a quote I'd heard someone was referring to how we need to be more grateful for the sacrifices of others. And that we have all metaphorically drunk from wells that we did not dig ourselves. And too often we take accolades or praise for where we are in life or things that we have. And we don't always recognize those who dug those wells that we drink from in all the aspects of our life. And oftentimes because we don't know who they are. And I think those eight individuals are a prime example of people who dug wells that you're drinking from, that we're all drinking from. And so my challenge for this week's episode is to think about people who have done something to benefit your life that you might not have shown enough gratitude for. And think about how you can show gratitude for them and just be overall more grateful in your life and to use their sacrifices as motivations in your life. And I think as you do that, you'll start to realize that there's lots of wells that have been dug for all of us in our lives that we might not appreciate to their fullest extent. How true. Well, I love this conversation. You know, one of the things I was thinking about So the Iran-Iraq war starts while you're in captivity. You talked about this transition, this long car ride. We've had a conversation about this before. So I know this car ride occurred because there was some bombing that was occurring close to where you were being held because of the Iran-Iraq war. So not only are you captive... But you're now at a country that's at a very, very violent war. That was a very bloody and devastating war for both those countries that many people in the United States probably aren't familiar with just how brutal that war was for both Iran and Iraq. And so still, you have all these tools, you know, you have all these people in captivity. Were there any leadership traits that just stood out to you of people that are like, wow whether it was you or others around you, this is just a remarkable example of leadership in crisis. You know, I have to say that all
1: three of us, we all had our talents, I guess you could say. Uh, Jerry was the oldest. Here's Jerry Plotkin, the only American civilian. He was walking out of the chancery the morning of November 4th, 1979, when all of a sudden I come running in, Billy saw me being chased. I squeezed in, we closed the four-inch steel door, turn around and here he is, he's Jewish and he's a merchant collecting a quarter million dollars in cash. And so he is held because he's an American and he's Jewish and he had a quarter million dollars in cash in his briefcase. So he ends up being in a room with us. Billy had been there a little bit longer than I, his first duty post. And so he knew more of the country. but. He had talents of like, he loved to do magic tricks. So, I mean, we all had stories. We all had different things. And we would sit there and talk about, you know, the possibility to escape. But when you're locked in a room, the first 30 days you were tied. The next 400 days you're locked. There wasn't any opportunity of going out and digging a garden and saying, okay, there's the wall. We're going to make it over that. But I mean, it was just the people that obviously were there are higher echelon. You know, there were four people that were put in solitary confinement because of this one individual. And so I always look back to those that suffered so much more. And again, my parents, my parents, the leadership of my simple father. He was a truck driver. He was a concrete mixer driver. And my mother, she was a carpet store secretary, Keith. So If you really want to look back in leadership, I mean, you look back and not so much me as a hostage. And this is just my story. There's 52 other stories and there's other stories, you know, the guys that run a rescue operation. But when I came back and saw what my poor father and mother, imagine one of your loved ones being held hostage and you got to get up every day. And, you know, get cleaned up and go to work and act like nothing's really happening. But, you know, your loved one is on the news for 444 days because Nightline was created and the media finds out where you live and they live at your house for the next 444 days. I mean, my poor parents, God love them. They never went to school for public relations. I mean, they just took the bull by the horns and they went with it and did what they thought was best. And my mother, she cooked for everybody. She was making bread and she was doing something positive just to keep her going. And my father got love and he was just trying to keep everything, you know, in shape. And when he passed away, they both passed away about 13 years ago and at the funeral, this is where it gets tough. My father's buddy said, Rocky, your father was a great man, which he was. He would come to work in the morning, fill his concrete mixture up with concrete, and he'd leave the yard, and he'd just go driving. I mean, he was just driving, and they would have to call him and say, hey, Virg, where are you? His mind was just, it wasn't there. He was thinking about what was happening to me, but he was still trying to do What he had to do was to support the family. And so not so much me, but the other people also, Keith, that that surrounded us. Again, I, I think that was part of the whole piece of parenting is what you try to teach your kids, what your parents taught you that you can't give up. I mean, even at the most difficult days, you have to be positive and, and know, and you gotta get cleaned up and you gotta go move forward and execute and execute at the best of your ability. And again, I think of those eight individuals, they executed all the way to the end when that helicopter hit that C-130 and uh, they were determined. And those poor remaining people, The guys that were on that rescue operation, Keith, that had to come home, not only did they not get us, but they had to leave eight of their fellow colleagues burning in the desert. It was a very traumatic time. So, you know, it was something that I've learned not only from what I went through, but what other people went through and, you know, the sacrifice of what that American flag represents. And there's a lot of leadership in that baby.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And thanks so much for sharing your story with us, for sharing your emotions with us. I appreciate that. And I know it's, it's never easy, but it means a lot to me. It means a lot to the listeners. There's so much that we could go back and listen to this and unpack and see some great examples of leadership. And I, I worry that so many people might think that there's limitations to what we're talking about for only crisis. And what I will tell you is that all of us have a challenge we're facing in life. And Rocky has given us some great tools, some great knowledge, some great ways to view the world around us to encounter the people in their moments of crisis and to help them move forward, to recognize the father that's driving his truck to provide for his family that might be suffering a devastating loss. And how do you help them grieve and function in a better capacity? How do we embrace the stories of the people around us? He talked about these three individuals that he was closest to and how they all brought these diverse backgrounds together and they helped each other. That's what we do. We show each other our strengths through our diversity and helping one another because all of our different paths and all of our different versions to encounter the world around us create a whole picture. And if we just limit ourselves to our own path and our own version of the world, we have a very incomplete picture. And so those were two things I really wanted to focus on while there's many other things I think that you could glean from this if you really listen to it, as I will. But I just, there were some powerful thoughts I had about those and I just wanted to share them. Uh, Rocky, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. We'll probably ask you to be back in the future. But as we wrap up today, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with?
1: You can always remember freedom is not free and that there are men and women around the world as we sit here, as they're listening to this podcast, they're pointing the weapon at the enemy so that we can live in this great society. And Folds of Honor, a great organization that provides back to families of fallen and disabled. And they can go to foldsofhonor.org. And they can become a a squadron member and donate $13 a month. And why 13? Because there's 13 folds to a flag. Those men and women that go to their grave, uh, they get that flag. And that's that's why we just want to remember and remind them, honor their sacrifice, educate their legacy. So again, folds of honor, I truly appreciate you uh, allowing me to be on the air today with you, Keith.
0: Thanks so much, Rock, And I will close with saying the most sacred duty I've performed in my military career as I get ready to retire in a couple weeks here is ceremonial guard and folding that flag over a casket of a fallen service member and that is a moment that will profoundly change your life and I love the representation of the 13 folds and that means a lot to me so thanks Rocky thanks so much for all of you joining us I hope that you've been edified we've been edified and continue to Share the podcast with those that you might think it will edify them as well. And give us a wonderful review if you liked it and have a wonderful day.